Hello and welcome to Impressions of America. I'm Simon and with me as always are Toby and Vaughn. Hi guys. Hi Simon. Hey Simon. Today we have a, um, a special episode celebrating the 4th of July. Um, we are going to be talking about patriotic films a little bit later in the show. Uh, but um, first up we are going to be talking about um, the most patriotic American there can be and that's the president. Uh, we have, oh. We've had Joe Biden in charge for six months now, so we're going to just talk a little bit about um, Biden and FDR 2.0. But before we get <laughs> onto that, probably the only American who's even more patriotic than Joe Biden, and that's Vaughn. So, uh, <laughs> Vaughn, you these days celebrate 4th of July in the UK because you no longer live in the US. So mm-hmm. um, what's what's it like celebrating the 4th of July over here and what, what does the 4th of July mean to you now these days? It's an excellent question, Simon. Um, it's quite bizarre, honestly. I've This is my fifth 4th of July in either Ireland or the UK. And it's it's quite strange. It's almost like how Thanksgiving is. It's just a regular... T- Thursday in this country but to me it's Thanksgiving and it's a weird kind of association that I have with with this this day that means nothing to the people around me Um, but it when I was a kid the 4th of July was one of the main holidays that my entire extended family would celebrate it was the first time we would see everybody since Christmas in a new year um there would be like 40 or so people getting together and celebrating and having a picnic, um, going to the parade. And it was very much a kind of display of the American family, I think, for me, analyzing it in retrospect. Um, just average people celebrating the freedoms that we have and both thanking the troops, but also our fellow citizens, because the 4th of July isn't just about the troops. It isn't about the wars that we've fought. Um, It's about the lives of American citizens living as close to possible what a realistic American dream can be. Now, I don't believe in the American dream in uh, scare quotes, but there's definitely perpetuation of an idea of what an American should be in tons of cultural media which we'll talk about today and have been talking about extensively on the podcast before but the fourth really to me is a time for family and for recognizing the average citizen of the U.S. not celebrating any grand gestures or accomplishments of the country but rather acknowledging who the people are because the fourth started as who the people were and their ideals and their politics and what they wanted from their average lives under a government so to me the fourth of july is is that celebration of the independence that people can have to celebrate or rather to um, 
to live the best lives possible that they truly believe in. Now, I do think it should be said that the 4th is not the right date. John Adams, to whom I am related, held very staunchly that the 2nd of July uh, was the day that we should be celebrating for our independence because it was the day that the Continental Congress decided to declare independence. And that's when the vote happened, but the declaration came back from the printers on the 4th. So we celebrate that day instead. So really the 4th of July is a sham and it's just a celebration of a document, but whatever. That aside, I think it is a celebration of Americana much more than it is a celebration of America. It's a, uh, a, a nice thought, actually, and a ni nicely put, Vaughn. I, I hate to give you compliments, but that was a lovely answer, so thank you for that. Thank you. Um, I tried real hard. You tried real hard, okay. <laughs> Shall we... Um, I, I am remember? celebrating today. You are celebrating. I've had, I've had several shots for the shot heard around the world. I feel I should say that up top. But... So is, how is that different to any other day? Fair. Well, this one is specifically dedicated to America. Shot heard around the world. The shot that started the, the revolution. Uh -huh. I'm doing them proud. John Adams, this one's for you. You know. I, I was going to say, it's, it's nice that you're honoring John Adams every single day of your life by <laughs> living in tremendous pain like they did in the, the 1700s. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Savage. All right. Yeah. Uh, right, shall we move on to probably the greatest American since John Adams, and that's Joe Biden. Um, yes. Okay, so I, I'm not sure exactly how how many days officially we've had of Joe Biden. When you live in such a beautiful dream like we've been living in these past few yeah. months, it's, it's hard to keep track of time. But it, it, we're coming up sort of roughly six months for Joe Biden now. Um, Toby, can I get, just get your thoughts on sort of the first six months in charge for joe biden and the, the the feelings of positivity or negativity or other you've had over the last six months with uh, biden in charge well you know i think i've basically been pleasantly surprised with biden um maybe, maybe because i'm more pragmatic than you know than maybe most uh, people with politically left views because um he came in and the big thing, obviously, was the coronavirus. Um, Trump had shown contempt for um, Fauci and the and the health services, and I think um, Biden has really pushed to get vaccination done. Um, he's pushed manufacturers to increase uh, vaccination production. There's been hundred million COVID vaccine doses. You've also had like over 80% of older people have been vaccinated. So the push uh, for vaccination is, is something that he can uh, generally take credit for um, in terms of his administration and management of that. I think he's done quite well. Obviously, um, on the economy, you know, you've had the, the stimulus and, and relief bill, which was you know, um, for the context larger than the the stimul stimulus bills that had come before. It's, you know, the return of uh, government spending and, and uh, government intervention in the economy on this scale. I think one of the great benefits of this is that a lot of people who worked low-paying jobs um, have 
been able to leave those jobs. And, you know, some conservative and libertarian economists have said, well, you know, this is, this is the employment trap, it's the employment trap. But really what it shows is that people are less willing to do things that they don't want to do in this new economy because they have the, the stimulus checks and uh, they have um, some sense of a guaranteed uh, unemployment benefit. And, and it's really changed, you know, the way many of them uh, live their lives. So, yeah, I think on, on coronavirus, he's been successful on the economy. Generally, in broad terms, he's been successful. He's put, pushed forwarded a very ambitious um, infrastructure plan as well. I think um, he could work much better to get conservatives, uh, blue, you know, sort of blue dog Democrats or conservative Democrats on side. I mean, certainly they've been, uh, people like Kristen Sinema have, have really been a thorn in the side of the administration, but not necessarily a thorn in the Australian administration because I, I don't necessarily believe that Biden holds personally very progressive views or even on the economy. So they've allowed him to, you know, um, to stymie some of his more ambitious plans, um, even on issues relating to to climate change, even though he's come back into the the, the Paris Paris, uh, Climate Accords. So, yeah, I I think that um, I, I think I probably would be giving Biden overall maybe a B plus for his performance so far. Um, I do one thing I do think, and this is probably a sign of foreboding, is that I think the coronavirus and the relief bill and the the immediate re- revisions or uh, retrenchment of of, of Trump's climate policy are things that Biden sort of had to do. And there was political capital for him to do. But I think into the future, and I think we see this with issues like um, immigration, um, into the future, I think Biden will be challenged in ways and I think he'll be found wanting by many progressives. But in the immediate term, the first six months, he's been very successful. I think he, um, if you look at legislation put forward in the first six six months by um, by presidents, um, he he looks favorably in comparison to Bill Clinton. Um, although Barack Obama did have a lot of political capital to push forward legislation in in when he became uh, president, the efficacy of um, Biden's um legislation both on the coronavirus and the economy is much higher than um Barack Obama's and he even looks in terms of these broad policies I mean he even looks good when compared to FDR a little bit you know I mean it's 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 not that difficult to say I don't think it's going to continue I don't think he's going to try to you know add people to the Supreme Court I don't think he's going to try to institute, you know, massive um, legislative changes in um, things like telecommunications or create work um, work plans for people who don't have uh, jobs. I don't think he's going to do anything like that. But I think in the immediate term, in the first six months, you have to say that he's done a really good job. 
he's been able to um, use the political capital that he does have very succe- uh, successfully. Although I don't, I'm not sure it's going to continue. Uh, Vaughn, your initial thoughts on Biden's first six months? I I agree with a lot of what Toby said. Um, I have some nitpicky leftist things, I guess. Um, I mean, not really nitpicky because it's about human lives, but I think he's kind of stumbling still on immigration and refugees, and he has been annoyed at the press for asking him about those things. Um, I think just before around G7, he said, um, it's it's only been six months, like give me more time. But I think that comes down to what the priorities of the administration are. Um, and Kamala Harris also came down with some kind of critiques on her advice to immigrants and refugees that has been debated hotly in a lot of circles. So I think they're definitely stumbling and could do better on that. Um, They are doing very well with the vaccinations. I think it's definitely a difficult task to convince the nation as it is at the moment to get the vaccine, I think. Um, And we're at 66.8% of adults having the first dose at least. And what is it? 54.6% of all Americans um, having at least one dose, if not two. So that in itself is a feat for sure. Um, I think the states are not ready for the Delta variant. Um, There's been a lot of concern with it, especially this weekend because Biden is is hosting the 4th of July celebration on the South Lawn uh, today. And a lot of experts are very concerned about the optics for that with the coming uh, Delta virus or Delta variant rather, um, and how that's going to kind of rip through the nation, especially with only 66% of adults having the first dose. So there are definitely still some concerns around COVID, but I would say he's doing a very good job with it. Um, I am quite annoyed at Democrats in general, per usual, uh, because I don't understand why Democrats are still trying for bipartisanship. When Republicans are in power, they do whatever the fuck they want. And you sort of answered your own question there, Vaughn. Um, yeah, because they're Republicans. And and, okay. and because they're Democrats. And because Demo- they're Democrats. Democrats yeah. seek nothing more than the approval of Republicans. That's, that's, what, I, that's what I meant. The Democrats yeah. are Republicans. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm not going to say that. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's really frustrating that, that the Democrats finally have a massive foothold in Congress and the White House, and they're like, well, maybe we should compromise on whatever bill is in front of us to get more Republican votes. And then the Republicans don't vote for it anyway. Like, if you're going to be FDR 2.0, stop giving a shit what Republicans think and actually pass the, the Green Deal and infrastructure without compromise, then just just pass it. 
it's really frustrating to watch. There, there have been so many concessions over the last six months that have meant absolutely nothing because Republicans still don't vote for it after they pare down the bill and we get a half-assed bill that Democrats are proud of for some reason. Yep. So that's very frustrating. Um, but I, I, I guess they're doing well. It hurts to say that, but <laughs> I think they're, I think they're doing, it depends on the issue. I think COVID is, is a very severely important issue at the moment. And I would say that they're doing very well with COVID. Everything else is, is much more complex for me to kind of judge, I think. Yeah, I mean, my my own thoughts are that c- kind of hybrid of, of both your thoughts, that there's a, a general level of sort of competence now back in in the White House. And you see that with the vaccine rollout and, you know, pushing for certain things such as infrastructure bills and to a certain, certain degree, the economic recovery and that, that kind of thing. Uh, but at the same time, is it, as we kind of expected, this is not a a new democratic party. This is this is not a breakaway from the old. This is still a democratic party that relies on talking about bipartisanship and wanting to unite the country, rather than you know there was however many million people voted for. I mean, how many millions of people vote for the Democrats, and how many millions of people are just kind of standing around going, "Well, aren't aren't you actually going to you know represent us a bit more?" Mm-hmm. And the Democrats have never been good at um, playing to their base properly. Um, they, 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 I think they've always taken for granted large chunks of their base, and mm-hmm. they very much. These are rich white people who live in really expensive houses, and so to them, negotiating, you know, six percent down to three percent. Oh, okay, we'll agree on four. Well, actually, we needed like fifty percent, but you know, we got a deal done. You know, th- them kind of negotiating a win for them is kind of good politics and is something they can wave in front of cameras. But in reality, the, the change that we actually need on a whole number of things is, you know, continuing to be put put to the wayside because you know it's it's the democratic party you know we we never mind winning over republicans we can't even apparently them biden can't even seem to win over 100 percent of his own democratic senators yeah. um so and, and considering joe biden what we hear every election is you want someone like joe biden because he can reach across the aisle well it hasn't worked so far we never they never get republicans to vote with them unless it's some you know like you know I don't know, wouldn't it be good if we didn't, you know, blow up the sun? Although even then Republicans would still vote against that bill. Um, but there's a there's an ineffectualness of Joe Biden of Democrats, which has been there for, for decades, where we get told at elections that someone like Bernie Sanders is not electable because you need someone who can reach across the aisle and you need someone who can, you know, get deals made. Even though you look at what Joe Biden's achieved, you know, throughout his his uh, time in uh, being a senator and uh, being um, being in politics, and most of what he achieved was just, for the most part, achieving what Republicans wanted, really. So, I, I, I think there's a, I think the Biden administration gets 
gets high marks for certain things, such as the vaccine rollout, mm-hmm. and for just not peppering us with the kind of daily stories that we got under Trump. But um, I think it's it's sad that we we are right now watching billionaires competing as to who will get into space first while mm-hmm. the sea is literally on fire mm-hmm. and people are like you know and you know you've got politicians selling their million dollar houses so they can you know move further inland so that the you know <laughs> the tsunamis don't kill them or whatever and we're just supposed to kind of continuously play this nice game of well we don't want to offend the republicans because heaven forbid you know we should try and push for something that we want and all these politicians, whether they're on the left or the right, for the most part, are like 70 or 80 years old. They're going to be dead in 30 years' time, just like the planet. So it would be really good if we could, you know, stop pussyfooting around and actually make some difference. But, you know, it's, you know, I think what Toby said at the, right at the start was he's more of a prag- pragmatist. And there's a, there's a reality that we live in, which is sadly the reality of politics is often very far disconnected from the actual reality of everyday people and you know we could have whole rants about how you know <laughs> how much a house costs compared to the uh you know medium wage and that kind of stuff and how that's yeah yeah exactly how, like how, that, how, how that's changed um there's a lot of super structural issues that i generally don't think the button can solve or has the will mm-hmm. to solve but in the immediate term like how's he done i think he's done well but you know yeah like you say you know like uh with the housing crisis with you know people in their 20s and 30s in major cities largely being priced out of owning a home um renting perpetually with with climate change we're lazy and much happier to see people you know send themselves into space than to make the investments to you know i mean even even the uk conservatives are thinking really rigorously of transitioning the country from coal completely but the democrats i mean they 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 pussyfoot around they're not trying to you know to brush up against the republicans or brush up against the constituencies that the republicans represent and really take a stand on 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 a lot of issues they've been given the political capital to do the things they, they've done in the last few months but yeah i don't i don't i'm not very optimistic about the next few few months or the the, the structural problems that that the, the country faces and have been building for 20 years well 40 years yeah and um no one seems they really have the will to get into those problems and, and deal with them yeah, such as being able to cancel student debt, which I believe he has the ability to do. But um, mm. he, you know, <laughs> and I think he did make some campaign promises along the lines of cutting student debt. But obviously, mm-hmm. when you campaign uh, towards students, you can just lie to them. That's fine. You know, it's the suburban yeah. people you can't lie to. Um, we're, we're, we're definitely, we as students are definitely kind of notorious for our inability to do research and yes. remember things. <laughs> So you can lie to us straight yeah. up. Cool. Um, but but what you said, Simon, what both of you have said is is really coming back to, to what the 4th of July means to me. I think it is coming out in both of your responses that it's about kind of the average lives of people. And we can we can praise this administration for some things, but it's definitely important to criticize it 
very heavily because a lot of leftists and even some liberals were campaigning that, yes, Biden is still bad. He's, he's still very bad, but at least he's not Trump. But we have to hold him accountable. And now it's time to hold him accountable for all of the campaign promises that he made and all of the things that he didn't promise, but we know are on the side of the American populace. And it's yep. the, the 4th of July is about celebrating that the U.S. government is a government for the people, by the people. It's, yep. it's so important to remember that the most critical part of patriotism is critiquing your government, especially yep. in the United States. So I think the 4th of July is definitely a celebration of the people of the United States, definitely American citizens at home and abroad. But it's also a time to reflect, as we are doing here, on the government as it is at the moment and making sure that the government is representing the views and the ideas and the actions that you yourself want your government to be representing. If your government isn't representing your views, then what the fuck was the point of the American Revolution? Yep. Mic drop. Yep. I actually hit my mic. So. <laughs> I was going <laughs> to say, nice. and it kind of just to kind of close this part up it it, mm-hmm. it does always make me chuckle that we finally got a, a woman of color like as vice president and <laughs> she's a cop <laughs> just the, it's just like the, the perfect, perfect analogy for for uh liberals and that the administration just said about um shikari richardson who has been ousted from the olympics because of a positive marijuana trace in her drug test um the administration said that she's an inspiring young woman, but they're refusing to stand behind her and say that she can still be in the Olympics despite having smoked weed when fucking Kamala Harris said that she does. Yeah. Rules are rules, though. That's what they said. Rules are rules. Cops get away with anything, right? Yeah. Can you imagine just like Martin Luther King just going on his marches and Joe Biden and that just going like, yeah, we stand with them. I mean, they should still be arrested, but yeah, we stand with them. Yeah, Right? Right. <laughs> Happy fourth. Happy fourth. Right. Shall we move on from that and um, move on to more of the the film side of things? Um, Because we we do actually have some um, film chat to be getting on with. Um, So we we each have picked two films to to talk about, which are quote unquote patriotic films. And um, they're, you know, it's a bit of fun and it's nice to to talk about this kind of thing uh, on 4th of July. Uh, but before we get into individual picks, I was just going to uh, ask each of you, kind of, what does the term patriotic film mean to you? And I suppose, especially in context of, of American cinema. So, uh, Vaughn, do you want to kick us off on that? Sure, I can. Um, I will try to keep this extremely brief, even though it's most of my dissertation. <laughs> I was going to say, we, we've got the right person to ask here. It, yeah, I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. <laughs> Um, And I know that we've covered it on both the Christmas special in which we talked about my thesis and also from an episode earlier this year, um, talking about what American patriotism means at all Mm -hmm. in any context. Um, So thinking about patriotism on film, I do think it's very important to have a a clear idea of what you mean by patriotism before going forward with it. Um, I'm sure I've quoted this before 
on the podcast, but one of my favorite quotes about patriotism and American patriotism specifically is from Merrill Curti's um, The Roots of American Loyalty. And the quote goes, I think it's from 46, the quote goes, whether America will provide an even larger freedom at home and even stronger hope for the world depends upon what citizens make of our country, depends not only upon the strength of our devotion to it, but also upon the character of that devotion. In a democracy, blind unthinking love of country must presumably give way more and more to intelligent and understanding patriotism if that democracy as such is to survive. That being so, an examination of the sources and nature of American patriotism may be more than an academic exercise, and he who reads it thoughtfully may be helped toward more enlightened citizenship. I love that quote so much because in order to be an American patriot, you need to be informed. You need to be, you need to educate yourself. You need to know what the ideals of the founding fathers were, but you also need to know the accurate history from before and after what the founding fathers said. American history, especially right now, is being debated in all sorts of ways um, on how we examine it and how we teach it. And that's a, that's a different conversation to be had, but a very important one in itself. And I think when applying patriotism to film, we should keep these things in mind that true American patriotism is a critique of the government and an exercise of this quote, enlightened citizenship. So thinking about patriotism on film, I think it's films that either strive to accurately record history, accurately is in major quotes there, um, because what does accurate mean to any single person, let alone a historian, but to portray history on screen of, of both the founding and present and everything in between with an air of critique. I don't think it's just this blind, unthinking love of country. I think that's nationalism and extremely dangerous. I think the, the most heartfelt and loving patriotism of the country is one which is critical and objectionable and one that is willing to hold the country to account and especially the government, but also your fellow citizens. That's, that's I think what it means um, to me, a patriotic film. I do think there's an element of also making a hero of the common American person, whether it's a, the common man or the common woman, whatever, whatever, um, whatever tropes you want to apply there. There's, there's an element of who the archetypal American is and that changes throughout the decades on American film um, and per director and per actor portraying them. But I think an attempt to show what true Americana means can also make a very patriotic film and also a great critique on the contemporary in history, depending on what the content is. That's my answer. 
Interesting. Uh, Toby, any anything to add on patriotic films? Well, I think um, I think patriotic films are films largely that um, deal with historical subjects that bring forward an idea of the nation, an idea of the of the core values of the nation, um, values and characteristics of America through, you know, whether it be narratives about how the, the nation was founded or narratives about big moments and big successes of the nation that reflect the American people and their values and their idea of themselves. But that can always change and, and is always changing and is always being reevaluated based on the period the film is made, the, the people who are making them, uh, what specific people the film is uh, trying to portray. And as also as Vaughn said, you know, it's it's the it's finding the idealistic American, you know, like who is the heroic figure in the uh, in these patriotic films? What problems are they trying to solve? How do they solve them? And how does that reflect their investment in the American project and um, what America can do for uh, them and what they can do for America? So, yeah, I think patriotic films are really about expressions of, of American ideals. The the journey that those films go go on either leads to something that can extend or elaborate on some sort of American value that the, the characters in those movies, villains and uh, heroes are reflective of what the idealistic American is. And it's, it's, it's certainly it's different from nationalism, but also patriotic films like say glory can challenge the idea of, of what the kinds of narratives are, who the main characters are, um, what is the ideal American? What does it mean to be an American? So yeah, I think uh, patriotic films are, are really spaces for finding out how we reflect on who is the idealic American and what story are we telling about America and American values. Great answer. Um, yeah, I, I don't have much more to add to what you both have said other than kind of the notes that I have are kind of along similar lines. Um, often they will um, be about a, a, a challenge or a crisis of some kind, be it real or historical. And um, it, the film kind of being a canvas to uh, portray um either a particular American identity and a particular form of heroism in, in some form or another, or something which challenges the, the identity and morality of, of what America is and what it's fighting for. So you've, you've got like, as you said, you've got something like glory or even something like all the president's men or the American president mm-hmm. or something like that, where there, there is talk of what, what does it mean to be American? You know, what should we be, striving for and you know who, who should we be as people and then you you've kind of got the more sort of rah-rah affair the the 
bit more sort of flag wavy kind of uh, you know American heroes stepping up with their their guts to to win it win the day for America. You know something like Rocky Four, uh, Independence Day, Miracles, something like that, which is more about um, this this idea of the American hero being uh, being presented on on, on screen. Um, and I think it, it will cover some of these films in greater detail, and will obviously cover at what point you know things stop being patriotic and start moving towards nationalism. I'm sure. Um, mm-hmm. Who wants to go first uh, with their their first film? Well, one of mine is the only one that's not post-war. I think. Okay. Do you want to start there then? Yeah, we can go roughly chronologically after that, I think. Um, but my my first choice is The Patriot. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, I, it's, it's sick to say, but it's one of my favorite films. Um, I've seen it a million times. I watched it so many times as a kid. And now studying it at, at multiple levels in um, undergrad and grad school. I, I find it just a very interesting kind of case study for how Americans view the American Revolution. <clears throat> so The Patriot came out in 2000, um, directed by Roland Emmerich and starring Mel Gibson, um, among many wonderful actors. Um, Heath Ledger is in it. Jason Isaacs is in it. Um, but it's, it's about the American Revolution and particularly the Southern, Southern theater of the war. Um, there are a lot of problems with the film in terms of historical accuracy and everything from how they portray enslaved people and the practice of slavery to um, how they portray sexual relationships. There's a lot of inaccuracy. Um, the Guardian review for it actually finishes with their verdict saying uh, truth is the first casualty of Mel Gibson which I think is a brilliant review but it it follows the story of this this farmer being reluctantly kind of drawn into the war because a British officer murders his son and you see him arguing with the the um the delegates in his town's kind of his town congress, town city hall meeting, arguing that a war isn't the best way to go about independence, but that if he must, he will defend his family and develop a new nation. It's been highly criticized, um, both in the US and abroad, for not being a patriotic film, but rather showing the nation as kind of an abstraction and forefronting family as the kind of motivator for the the revolution. But I, and definitely some historians would disagree with that and say that it is patriotism to show that there was reluctance in the American revolution, that people had to be drawn in very slowly and gradually and brought over to the cause. It wasn't an instantaneous, we have to do this for independence and every colony and every colonist is on side. It was a very reluctant um, growth of of this desire for independence. 
people had different motives for, for joining. And I think a very strong one, hearkening back to what I said about the 4th of July, is family. And that people saw their lives were, were being oppressed in some way. And their families were at risk and threatened. And that's why they signed over to the, to the patriotic cause of joining the American Revolution. So I think it's a very interesting, very heavily creatively licensed vision of the revolution. But it's definitely a, a thought-provoking one. Um, yeah, and I, I, it's it's also very interesting because it, it came out in two thousand. I'll just say this real quick, Simon. Mm -hmm. But it's very interesting because the main protagonist, played by Jason Isaacs, is um, a Corporal Tabington, who is a British officer in their kind of like Green Beret unit of like that's the equivalent there. They're extremely brutalistic. And there's one scene in particular in which this British officer um, burns down a church with the entire town congregated within it, including women and children. And that is actually a real event, not from the American Revolution, but from World War II in, in France in 1944, when the Nazis burned a church with civilians inside. And this really rocked the uh, UK viewership of, of the Patriot because up until this point, there was a kind of perceived acceptance of an existence of a cinematic special relationship. It's very famous that in, in World War II, Churchill um, and Roosevelt saw, sat down and established this special relationship between the US and the UK but it had existed for even longer in Hollywood because there, there had never been a mainstream presentation of the American Revolution because we did not want to upset our allies being Britain in the UK. Um, and this was the first mainstream major film to portray the British as the bad guys and to portray them committing Nazi war atrocities. So I think it's a fascinating film to think about in terms of both the presentation of America within it, the presentation of the Patriots fighting the American Revolution, and also as a marker of modern American diplomacy and the relationship that the US has with the UK. So I think it's a fascinating film for all sorts of American ideas. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I'd never seen the f film before until last year and I uh, found it a really interesting watch. It's full of, of imagery and iconography, which really did stand out at the time. The the church burning uh, being one of them, the, the the racing through battles, kind of holding flags and um, uh, yes. th that kind of thing. It felt very Mel Gibson's America, um, I guess is the way I would put it. Um it's a it's a interesting choice because obviously, obviously this is <laughs> depicting sort of uh, the, the early days of America, whereas the, what we're going to be covering in the other films is twentieth um, century or twenty first century. Um, and it's yeah, I, I don't really have any anything more to add other than just to say, as as someone viewing it for the first time, 
uh, last year, I, I found a lot of the imagery stuck with me and mm. the, the the relationship between kind of what I was seeing and what I was feeling and how that, how just the, the, the sort of plains of America, you know, it, it really did sort of bring home, you know, this idea of, of British soldiers, you know, sort of marching through fields and going pe- past people's houses. And um, I, I think... I think if you were an American, I can imagine you walking away from that film with a greater sense of American identity. Um, I, I, I guess I'll never have that that kind of complicated sense of being an American. I mean, you know, live with American ideals, but you know, I'm a British person who has to live with this very complicated history. And um, um, I, I guess watching that from you know, kind of st- stepping back and seeing, I guess this is how. Americans or certain sections of America sort of see uh, American pride and uh, American um, confidence in telling its own story. I found it a fascinating, fascinating view. Toby, there's, do you have any, any thoughts? Oh, sorry, you were going to say something? Just very quickly. Um, there's a historian, Mark Glancy, who re- has written about the Patriot and the kind of cinematic special relationship that I mentioned. And he says that this film is extremely problematic for teaching American history, especially as we are defunding education, both in the UK and the US, that a lot of young people are learning their history through Hollywood films. And this is a very bad one to (laughs) to learn your history through because it really shows the kind of myths and um, like fabulistic ideas of early Americans and the founders and the patriots fighting the war, it really shows them as these kind of action heroes. And Mm -hmm. people had struggled up until this point in Hollywood to portray the American Revolution on film because they're known for their political ideas. They're not really known for their their hardcore action sequences. Um, So this is definitely a reimagining of the American Revolution, not to put down the people who fought the American Revolution absolutely was a bloody war for sure. But but it really kind of captures that sense of militiamen and the the farmer, the, the Cincinnatus throwing down his plow to fight for his nation and then going back home again. And it, it rewrites a lot of things, especially around slavery. Heath Ledger's character mm. Gabriel says at one point, we will have a, a chance to make a new world where all men are created equal in the sight of God. And he says that to an enslaved man. And the enslaved man says, equal, that sounds good or something like that. And it's this very hopeful idea that the American revolution will bring about the end of slavery and free all of these people. And that's what liberty means. And it's very interesting to to view it now as an adult rather than as a child learning what you learn in American public schools. Yeah. I think the most telling thing is it's the same director who made this as made Independence Day. And you can yes. you you can you can feel that, I think. Yeah. Uh Toby, any thoughts on on the Patriot? No, no I haven't I haven't seen the Patriot. Oh, okay. It's it's definitely worth worth uh worth viewing. And um, um sorry about when you were saying something. I said it's a good watch. It's and good John watch. Williams does the score, so it's a good listen also. It's a good listen also. Cool um right so as far as what we're talking about next then i guess going on subject matter chronologically would that be the right stuff that would come up next yeah the right yeah. stuff which is your pick toby yeah yeah so 
I think with the right stuff, you, you first have to start with Tom Wolfe, who really he set out not just with the right stuff, but with a lot of his work to, sh- to show things that were unique to America. Tom Wolfe kind of, he was kind of, he kind of hated Europe. He thought the Europeans were largely trying to bring their own art and their own architecture and their own designs to America. And what he was really looking for was some things that were super unique to America. So he, he created his, uh, book uh, on the hippie movement called the electric acid test which is about hippies um he he wrote this book which was eventually made into a film called the right stuff which was about astronauts and so he was always trying to find things that were super unique to america american ideals and american characteristics because he was sort of an american chauvinist in many ways and this movie although it's sort of slightly less chauvinistic than um, Tom Wolfe's book and Tom Wolfe's career is a movie about, basically it's about the creation of the space program in America you know, and, the, and the, the space race between America and the Soviet Union. But the characters it uses um, are sort of some of the early astronauts and the, the, what the film does is it starts off its preamble by really setting the kind of character that, that, that it wants. So it, it starts off in about 1947 in California with some, some test pilots, um, in, including uh, Captain uh, Chuck Yeager. And what's really interesting about these guys is that one of the test pilots is trying to break the sound barrier and he hops in his plane and uh, he's a brave and industrious character and he's, he speeds through and it, he's in his plane and he's, um, and, and he's confident and then he starts hitting a, a bit of a snag um, and, he, and he, he's scared that he won't be able to break the sound barrier but he eventually breaks the sound barrier right and and the film takes the Chuck Yeager character, the um, the Virgil Grimson character, and then um, John Glenn here, played by Ed Harris, and it, it shows that these guys are American archetypes. They're American heroes. They're they are the test pilots, or they're you know they're 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 the guys who've gone to college for physics and you know very athletic very outgoing very optimistic characters and the film really tries to show these characters as the idealistic american which is something tom wolf in his work generally try to do and it, it is you know like a, a we, we you know we talked about it before but it's a bit of a chad fest really you know these guys are strong, they're traditionally attractive, sort of square-jawed American type characters. They, it's, you know, the, the, they're trying to build uh, the idealistic American. Who, and then, and also the movie sets several um, sort of points to express that. So one of the scenes in the movie is 
um, the Gus Grimson character who's finally allowed to take the space pod up for the first time. He wasn't the first one to do it. Um, someone else in the crew was, but he, he went up and he's in space and he's uh, enjoying being in space. Uh, and then he comes down. And as he's coming down, he gets scared and the pod falls into the water and he's terrified as the helicopter comes to drag him out. And what he tries to do is open the chute of the of the pod, which he's not allowed to do, and he drops into the water. And and even though he's in a situation where he could die, the uh the, the helicopter is thinking, well should we should we get him or should we get the pod? Like what's what's more important? And eventually they get the pod first and then they get him. And then he is brought before a a meeting um, by generals and members of, of, of NASA to talk about how the, the pod opened because the pod wasn't supposed to open. And he pretends that he, he didn't open the, the, the pod. And, and um, the, the people who are taking care of him and his wife start treating him badly. But, when, but this story does not leak to the press at all because the press can't know about it because their lives are to be controlled and a narrative about their heroism must be expressed to the press. And so you don't, don't just only get the Gus Grisham character, you also get his wife as well, who's unhappy with the, the situation of kind of being locked up and, and, and um, you know, and not, not being able to do anything. She wants to go out and talk to, she wants the perks of being an astronaut wife and go and talk to Jackie. And you, you see the stress that they go through, the difficulty that they have to create this impression of themselves as heroic, idealistic Americans. And then the extent to which the government goes to display their lives on film. And another great scene for this is when Ed Harris's wife, um, Ed Harris is about to go up and his wife is waiting in um at home watching him and lyndon johnson is in a car outside of her house and his wife is is a mute so she's not comfortable speaking especially on camera and lyndon johnson wants to come in to see his wife with the press and she doesn't want him to come in and she and then the vice president wants to, to, to see you. And she's like, no, I don't, I don't want to see the vice president. I don't want to see the vice president. And she calls um, John Glenn to, to tell him that, you know, the vice president is harassing her and he, he doesn't want to see the vice president. And John Glenn, who, again, is this sort of he's showing that um, he cares about his wife. He's a heroic character. And he tells the person he's with that, the vice president cannot come into the house if she doesn't if she doesn't want the vice president in in the house. So you you've got this kind of the space program that's going on for you know several years you know uh, over the course of the 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 film and all of these guys are eventually going up into space. But it's less about the space program and more about. 
their lives and and how they've they're showing heroic um and sort of idealistic american traits and characters and what and i think another thing that underlines this is that they have this press conference and they're all talking about how happy they are again it's 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 being a, a astronaut getting picked to be an astronaut through the rigorous process of becoming an astronaut and then going up into space but also trying to express to the press and the press are like vultures in this movie it's like um Latosha vita or something the, the, the trying to express to the press that you're happy in your situation that there's there are no stresses that you're happy to be given this kind of opportunity in life and you you're you're happy to be this idealistic american so there's there's a there's a there's a point where the guys are seeing girls right and john glenn isn't happy that they're seeing girls because you know they need to 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 live basically stoic lives so that you know they can be clear-headed and and um you know so that there's no scandal attached to all of them because they will you know they they will have wives but they're all horny and stuff because they you know they they they're, they're these hotshot uh, fighter pilots and and so it's 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 it, again it's it's about being an astronaut but it's about how do you create this idea of yourself for the press again and and in the press conference John Glenn talks about how happy he is to be an american how happy he is to live in a country that allows a person to um he says that everyone is given a gift everyone is given this gift to be uh to be to live the life that they want and to contribute to the to the world and uh, everyone's given sort of a higher purpose and a gift and and I'm and I'm happy to live in a country that that offers us these 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 uh kinds of opportunities and again it's it's really this movie is about the um, the difficulties of being an astronaut and the the ideals that these people have as idealistic americans and then um how they are depicted in the media so yeah i think it's a really strong movie for dealing with um what what is the ideal american what does it mean to be an american uh, and um what it, what is it mean to be a patriot because these men are held up above all others almost you know the men who are going to space and and i think this movie really shows that and again and also it it it, it there's this um the, uh, the the figure that is always in the movie is the the soviet union it's the specter that hangs over the movie the movie cuts towards the soviet union with kind of um ominous music as you know yuri gagarin is able to go into space and have this success and then comes back and and you know the the american astronauts are unhappy the press is unhappy with with what happens um anytime the soviet union does anything jeff goldblum's character will burst into the room with the politicians and say well no the soviet union's managed to do this and the politicians are lit very dark in this movie the american even the american politicians the american politicians in these dark rooms always reply to jeff goldblum we know as a, you know jeff goldblum's this innocent character and the the politicians they're they're different from the astronauts they're they're lit in in dark dark rooms dark focus and they don't actually want the test pilots to be astronauts they think these men are hard to deal with the prima donnas the difficult 
and um, and one of the major political advisors has a, uh, an accent, sort of like uh, Henry Kissinger, sort of German accents and they're talking about um, utilizing German pilots potentially or or Germans for secret service missions and someone says well you know the, the Soviet Union is also using Germans but then the, the guy says well there's the we're using the good Germans and then they have the bad Germans so so the in this movie it's really being an astronaut is at the forefront um, the lives of these astronauts, the lives of the astronauts and their wives, the the difficulty they have in living up to the standards of the idealistic American, and then the movie does a, a goes to a great extent to try to make a distinction between them and politicians who are sneaky and who you know live in dark rooms and always plotting and and, and you know they they're not don't have core values even Lyndon Johnson you know Lyndon Johnson's in the car and he wants to bring the press into that into John Glenn's wife's uh house uh, you know to 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 in order to put it on tv and in order to use it for his own political capital right but the astronauts in this movie stand as these idealistic characters and they're also this new something that's new and hip and it's it's always something that uh, Tom Wolfe wanted to display as someone who was an American chauvinist. So I think it's a really, it's actually a really, really great movie. I, I, I wonder why it's not brought up um, as often as it, as it really should, because it's a really great movie. Uh, but it is a movie that's quite idealistic about um, astronauts and the camaraderie and the idealistic American that they display. Um, yeah. So I think it's a really good um, Independence Day and, patriotic uh, film i think it was although it was given great praise by critics at the time i think it was something of a box o- box office bomb when it was released yeah yeah I, I do i do wonder if a kind of combination of that plus the, the length of the film has maybe hindered its its kind of wider impact yeah I, absolutely it's a, it's a three it's a three-hour movie yeah it, it's it doesn't have a lot of special effects it you didn't have a big budget but they made really good use of footage, mm-hmm. archival footage. And, you know, they put the, the men in the pods. They, it looked like they were in space and they made really good use of archival f- footage. But, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't a, a, a film that was marketed particularly well. Tom Wolfe was actually not very happy with the movie, mm. um, not very happy with what they did with his um, original source uh, material. But, yeah, and, and it... it it wasn't a movie that many people actually saw, which is perhaps why, you know, it hasn't gone down as, you know, a, a truly great or mm. important American uh, film. But yeah, I think it definitely is. And it, and, I, and I think it goes a long way to exploring, you know, what this idealistic American is, because I think when we, when we talked about patriotism previously on this po- podcast, you know, we're talking um, about people who are left out of American life, um, sort of black people, uh, women, and other, you know, other mi- minority groups who aren't in the spotlight. And these men are definitely in the spotlight, you know, they're, they're college educated men, um, who are you know attractive and um, and uh, 
but also like um, outgoing and and and, and astronauts, right? They're, they're the people at the center, and you know they take risks and and they're they're well respected for for doing that. But they 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 live under intense amounts of strain to maintain that that ideal. And 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 I think in in when we talked about patriotism before, we you know we focused on um, ordinary people, but also presidents. And and I think in many ways it's like the sort of John F. Kennedy. Kennedy's all over this movie. Clips of Kennedy all over this movie, or someone like Theodore Roosevelt as well. You know, the, they are seen much more as this. You know, these the people at the forefront. These idealistic Americans at the forefront of American society, pushing the envelope. And um, and and I think it, it go it does a good job of not focusing so much on the history of the space program, but instead focusing on the, these specific individual astronauts. Yeah. I do want to move on, but I just want to say that I think it's, it's a really fascinating choice to pick something which looks to unravel perhaps some of the, 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 the mystery and some of the glamour behind a- astronauts who are kind of held up as one of the, the key American uh, icons of the 20th mm-hmm. century. And when we're talking about patriots, you know, outside of maybe World War II soldiers, it's often the sort of the heroic astronauts who are taking on the Russians and going, you know, going into space and these rockets and, you know, mm-hmm. going to the moon. You know, it, it's it's this crystallized image of these always white men, very clean cut, good looking college educated guys who are, you know, they have the right stuff. They're the best of the best. And it just exactly, happens, yeah, the, yeah. The, the best of the best happen to be all all white men who, mm. who would have thought. Um, yeah, yeah, so. and and Tom, Tom Wolfe's um, over is is particularly full of um, those kind of characters. Um, even electric uh, electric Kool-Aid acid test, he's talking about Ken Kesey, uh, you know, who has similar characteristics to these astronauts, and you know, he's he's made um, he's written books about uh, colleges, and you know, it, yeah, it's 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 this like who are we holding up? Mm-hmm. As as the ideal of American and and uh, and why and and what are the stresses of trying to fulfill that role and, and I think this movie is really, in, in it's really great for that um, it has it has some history within it which is interesting as well as with the the space program but it, yeah it's it's its main focus is about like who the idealistic American is I think. So we should probably move on to the, the next film, which I, I guess would be mine, um, which is a film called Miracle, uh, which came out in 2004 and stars Kurt Russell as um, Herb Brooks, who was the head of the ice hockey uh, team for the Olympics, the 1980 Olympics, uh, for the, the Miracle on Ice, where the um, USA team were able to defeat the Soviets in the semifinals. And then go on and win and win the gold. And this was seen as a well. You can understand from the term "miracle nice." This was seen as a, a huge moment for for American sports and indeed American identity at the time. I had never seen the film before. I watched it um, um, just this week, and it was a really interesting watch. Um, I didn't absolutely love the film. It's certainly not one of my favorites. But as a as a sort of film that tries to crystallize a certain type of history and certain type of identity around America in sort of the 60s to the 80s kind of period. I thought it was a fascinating, fascinating watch. 
Um, the film starts with all this um, footage, all this news footage of, generally speaking, sort of American catastrophes from the 60s onwards. So you, you see Nixon resigning. Uh, you see um, there's a, a clip of uh, the American basketball team, I believe, losing to the USSR uh, basketball team. Um, we've got um, different sort of other crises going on, including the uh, crisis of confidence speech, which plays at the end there and actually gets played towards the very end of the film as well. And so it, the start of the film actually builds up this idea of, of America being knocked down and America being in a tough spot. And then the, the opening scenes of the actual uh, film with, with the characters is them establishing the American ice hockey is in a really tough spot and it's going through its own crisis of confidence. And then throughout the film, we see Kurt Russell put together a, a team of uh, young ice hockey players. Uh, these aren't professional players. I believe these are sort of college players. And they, they come together and they obviously have their ups and downs and you get your kind of standard sort of Disney sports film, you know, where, where there's different challenges at home and there's different challenges within the team itself. And a lot of the film has to do with sort of having a larger group of, of players together and then cut, whittling them down, cutting a few names until you've got a team or a family, as they, they sometimes refer to it in the film. And you, you, again, you get a lot of the standard sort of sports film stuff where they're having to do sprints across the ice and they're all tired and they're breaking down and, you know, they're really struggling. And then eventually um, Kurt Russell's like, you know, do it again. And then one of the players stands up and says his name and where, whereabout he went to university. And then Kurt Russell goes, and which team do you play for? And he says, the United States of America. And then Kurt Russell kind of just looks at him and goes, right that's enough for today kind of thing and it, it felt very uh, it felt like something from remember the titans which felt like a very similar uh, disney sports film which was dealing with um race in the 1970s and and so by by the end of the film you have this us uh, a team come together to take on um the russians who are the great specter of this film we see some uh, footage of these uh, this professional uh, russian players and they you know, the film talks about and the characters talk about the, sort of how intimidating they are and how great they are. And Kurt Russell's character says, "If you score on the goalie, keep the puck because it, it just doesn't happen." All this kind of stuff. So it really builds up this mythology of, of taking on the USSR. And um, I think about two thirds of the way through the film, they actually show the Iranian hostage crisis on TV, and the characters sort of stop what they're doing to look at it. So it really does play up this idea of, of America going through a crisis of, of confidence. Uh, both in the political and world arenas and then uh, at home in the, the, the sports arena as well. And of course, by the end of the film, the, the big sports play that happens is actually the semi-final against the Russians, which is what was remembered most. And they eventually come through that and uh, defeat the Russians and then go on to, to win the final. And it's a... Um, it's it's a really it was a really interesting viewing for me as someone who I knew the story of Miracle on Ice. I didn't know exactly the the details of it, but I knew they beat the USSR, and I knew it was heralded as, as this great event. And so you you do get the kind of rah rah thing of you know the crowd chanting crowd chanting USA USA, and you. But I, so I was expecting that, but I wasn't expecting all the, the news footage of building up just how dire America was under Jimmy Carter. Uh, and then, thank God, we have Reagan coming along soon to, to fix everything. Uh, 
So I, I thought it was a fascinating view. And like I say, it wasn't one of my, my favorite films that I've watched this year, but as a, as a document of trying to understand, you know, how does a major studio sort of view this event and view America at that time, I, I thought it was fascinating. And one that um, Vaughn, I think some people in your family had seen before. I'm not sure if you had seen this film before this week. So I hadn't seen it in full, at least. Um, yeah, several people in my family, it's it's one of, it's up there in some of their favorite films, um, definitely favorite sports films. But um, yeah, I thought it was very interesting for a lot of reasons. It took me a while to watch it because I kept stopping and pausing and thinking about some things and presentations of the US and the USSR and uh, Soviet Union rather. And it's, it's definitely a proud film, I would say. Yeah. Um, it, it really kind of underlines what allegiance to America was in the 80s and is perceived to have been in the 80s in 2004, I think early 2000s. Yeah, it was 2004 it came out. Yeah. yeah. Um, especially with Kurt Russell as, as Disney's sweetheart. He is the kind of all-American mm-hmm. um, actor of today. I think not unlike Reagan in the 40s. Mm. I would, I would, I'm going to say that. I'm going to argue that, <laughs> that uh, Kurt Russell is as American sweetheart as you can get, um, I think, as Reagan was in Hollywood. And he's played Santa. And he's played a very sexy Santa. Yep. That... <laughs> Sorry. Um, we've covered that before too. We have. But yeah, I, I did. I enjoyed the film um, more than I thought I would. But they, they really, really lean into politics in, in a massive mm-hmm. way. And I was very impressed by that. Um, as you said, Disney kind of has a streak with sports films. Um, there's Remember the Titans and Invincible. There's Miracle. They're and they don't shy away from politics as much as you would think that a, a kind of Disney production would do. So yeah, it's it's a really interesting portrayal of, of Cold War culture um, and especially Miracle on Ice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it is one that, you know, keeps coming coming back up. If you ever see a list of, you know, patriotic films, this idea of this, mm-hmm. this great moment for USA when they were when they were down, uh, down and out in the, the world of sports, and indeed some of the wider world, this idea of this team coming together to, to raise the American spirits. And um, there's one quote towards the end of, end of the film that says, but on one weekend, as America and the world watched, a group of remarkable young men gave the nation what it needed most, most a chance for one night, not only to dream, but a chance once again to believe, which is... Um, very, very Disney take on uh, <laughs> on events. I think the film also calls this group of men. It says that they're from from like drastically different backgrounds, and I'm like, mm, they're all I was they're all say, young one, white men. <laughs> one of the things I really struggled with the film is I couldn't tell any of the characters apart because yeah. they all kind of had the same haircut and they're all white and they all roughly the exact like kind of roughly they the same. Like standard white men. Yeah, I agree with that. I thought that was just me, but I'm happy you said that also. The the only one I really recognized was I think it was the goalkeeper. 
and that's because he played uh, one of the love interests on Friends for a few episodes. Um, and so I recognized him. But outside of that, I was kind of struggling to identify everybody. And there were also some excellent, um, quote unquote, uh, Boston accents in the film as well, which I think you might have mm. mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there were very interesting Boston accents in that film. They're very loud accents. Very, <laughs> I'm from Charleston, like very in your face, you know. But no, it was a good film. I enjoyed it. I wouldn't say that they're from diverse backgrounds, though. No. At all. <laughs> at all. No, I would wholeheartedly agree with you on that. Right, we've each got one film left uh, to pick. Um, I guess it would be Toby's film next, would it? I mean, it's it's kind of all comes together at this point. But yeah, yeah. Toby, do you want to go next in your in your uh, your second film? Yeah. So my my second film is uh, Independence Day. Um. 1996. I mean, I think everyone sort of knows about this movie. To be honest, you know, I I might come across as someone who ha- is a bit of a film snob, maybe, mm-hmm. possibly. <laughs> I don't know. But I I I I love this movie, and I've always loved this movie a lot. Because I was like, because the concept is like, you know, aliens are about to attack, and you got Will Smith, and I'm like, yeah, I'm in, I'm in for that. Um, and with this movie, I think the the way it 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 is patriotic, it it does two things. It 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 does, you know, getting an individual, um like Will Smith's character and his uh, girlfriend uh, to, you know, fairly ordinary people and then drags them into world-altering events. But also what the film also does is it, it, it takes the, the um, president um, and makes the president a heroic character in a, in a way, it focuses the film around the president and the presidency, and the the president becomes this kind of, um, of, of of hero. And I think the 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 way it does it is it is it basically says all of the other countries are irrelevant. Yeah, they're this. waiting on America to. Tell they're they're waiting on America. America, the American president, is really the ruler of the world and he is the one but he also is the one who's going to play an individual role because at the beginning of the movie you've got the aliens attacking the uh, Jeff Goldblum's character knows that the aliens are coming to uh, attack the Washington Everyone else thinks that, you know, they're going to be attacking different places. And he comes to Washington to inform the president that this is going to happen. Uh, uh, but when the president finds out, he tells the Joint Chiefs of Staff, members of Congress, to evacuate. Because he's going to sort the problem out by being present, by taking control of the situation, and also by directing people um, in the way that that he wants wants to do, and this is partly why 
the director of this movie was brought into the White House by Bill Clinton to thank him for this depiction of the president because the president is, is you know, Will Smith's character is important, certainly, but I think the president is almost the secondary main character here in this movie. And and I think the what the movie does um, with the American patriotism is to really like the the movie just the way the movie's put together a lot of the art direction in the movie a lot of the 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 things that are used in the movie when when pickup trucks are moving on a a a a, a blockade stop you know you've got all of them have draped american flags um when the the aliens are deciding to attack the the country you've got scenes of key American institutions throughout uh, Washington and throughout America in those shots. The, the movie makes really good use of American um, cities, American scenes, American institutions, and just sets them all out as important and essential. And also, it's it it sort of harkens back to um, this idea of America trying to save itself. So America is facing an alien force which is overwhelmingly more powerful than America. This alien force is actually the great empire, and America is just this little clump. But Americans are coming together now, and, and as the president says in his speech towards the end of the movie, you know not to end tyranny and all those other things that we might have done in the past, but to protect ourselves from annihilation. And what he does rhetorically is, is he tries to say that this is not, this, this is the, our independence day and this is July the 4th, but this is not just about America. It's about the whole world coming to save itself for from annihilation but remember this is our independence day so again it's this is this idea that um uh it's beyond america but it's really about america so that the focus of this movie is america its essentialness um the its essentialness in the world the the fact that no other nation is being really being involved in this all other nations have either been subdued uh, the general is is depicted as a wise um, and uh, effective counsel. Um, he, he's shown as strong and um, um, valuable to the president. The president himself puts himself out there, you know, in the line of fire, even when the aliens are going, going to attack. The institutions themselves, they hold. Uh, people are generally good. Uh, every everyone who who was not in love in the beginning of the movie, uh, Will Smith's character really didn't want too much to do with um, the, his girlfriend's uh, son, but now he marries her. Uh, Jeff Goldblum and his um, wife are split up because she's more ambitious than he is, and she's going to enter the White House and you know fight for things that she believes in. But they they sort of start to come together towards. The end of the movie. Everything is wrapped up kindly and, and nicely. That the aliens get beaten up by Will Smith. Um, 
and uh, everyone is 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 saved. And I think, um, yeah, I think the movie it, it is um, an independence movie. In the, the 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 poor and weak people of Earth are saved by the strength and character of the American president and and sort of small time Americans like Will Smith who who become. Uh, who and I think the the meritocracy of it is also there as well. You know, like Will Smith, uh, he's in a meeting and um, Jeff Goldblum's explaining his idea. Jeff Goldblum again, someone who's on the margins of the elite. His wife has left him to you know work in the White House. Uh, Jeff Goldblum has his job, but he's brought in because he's the brains. And Will Smith, you know, he's he becomes a significant pilot who's who's trying to scramble the codes and the alien ship um because he's shown bravery and tenacity against the aliens so far and so he was a nobody and now he's super significant and again so these characters are coming in because of their merit and their virtue and um america is opening up to them and the 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 president is opening up to them and the the american people are fighting this this outward enemy who is against all of their values. Uh, you never find out why the enemy really wants to do what, what they're doing. They really just want to kill uh, America and stop America from being amazing. And um, towards the end, the, the, the heroic characters get what they deserve and, and are celebrated. So yeah, it's, it's a rah-rah American story in space um and yeah and then it's, it's a it's a lot of fun but but i think the difference between this movie and the movies we talked about uh the difference between this movie and the right stuff for example is the right stuff all that stuff actually happened mm-hmm. to an extent but is narrativized it's the picture of something that, that happened um and you, the Patriot is a depiction of something happened. Miracles depiction of something that happened. What this movie tries to get at is core ideals of Americanness, Americanness transposed onto the fictional narrative about an alien attack. Um, uh, in you know, it happens on um, around July the 4th when they're preparing parades and things like that. And so it takes all the values and the characterizations. It takes, it takes them out, out of history, out of time, but shows that they can be expressed in at any time, even if there's an alien invasion. It forefronts the American president, as we had talked about before with patriotism and the significance of the character of the American president, uh, as, and especially uh, when compared to some of his advisors who are weak and uh, not inventive, not innovative, and basically trying to sabotage things. Uh, and it brings people who might not necessarily be in the the eye of um, of who are not celebrated, like the nerd, like um, Jeff Goldblum's character, like Will Smith's character, like Will Smith's girlfriend, who's an exotic dancer, so she's a stripper, and it, and and it sort of brings all those characters in and tries to open the net wider for a bigger America, which includes people with weird, affected Jewish accents, like. Um, 
uh, Judge Hirsch, who's who's play, who's overplaying Jewishness for some reason. I don't know why he's doing that. It's it's kind of distracting, but he's he's in there. It. It, it, so it, bringing all of these characters. So it's not just the oh the the white valiant um, college educated male characters of the right stuff, and the same you know the same to an extent in Miracle uh, uh, and obviously to a different extent in the in the Patriot it's bringing in a wider more multicultural more 90s America with the same characteristics uh, and trying to express American values outside of, of historical context in a completely fictional uh, situation I think it's a great choice. Um, I, I love the film myself. Um, I won't say too much more on it other than I think it's fascinating viewing now watching a big budget film like Independence Day and seeing, I mean, America really is the only country that matters in, in that film. And there's a hilarious clip where there's some British uh, pilots that are sort of listening on Morse code um, and they're like, my goodness, the Americans have a plan. What are they going to do? They're going to attack them. And it's just this like really like stuck in the mud British idea of these posh British chaps just waiting around for these heroic Americans to uh, to count, do a counter uh, offensive. Exactly. It, it's hilarious. It's, it's also great because um, you've got something like this, which talks about the you know America coming together and then, you know, using its ingenuity and its force to take down this this greater force. But then after this, a lot of the films that we see have a very different viewpoint on America and the wor- world as far as this. So you have um, something like War of the Worlds, which comes and has a much more post 9-11 approach where basically America gets destroyed and it, it's only through other events that America survives. But then you've got other films that have come later on. So you've got things like 2012, which was directed by Roland Emmerich as well. Um, there's Transformer films, there's other films that kind of come out in the sort of um, later uh, later part of the, the 2000s and early 2010s, where it's China that is now the, the force behind a lot of these things, and it's they need to go to China to, you know, go, go on the arc in 2012, or it's the Chinese government who are more efficient at doing X, Y, or Z. And uh, looking back in Independence Day, it's actually quite a, a quaint idea of, of American cinema, where it's, it's America that does this uh, by itself. Whereas later on, uh, just you know, twenty years later or what have you, it, it, it's Ch- China has uh, has usurped America in that role. Uh, Vaughn, any any thoughts on the best film ever made, Independence Day? <laughs> um, I don't have too much more to add from what you guys have said, but Toby, I really like something that you said that. Um, one thing in particular, that Independence Day is a kind of imagining of what America could be in a fictional sense, that it's not showing something that has happened, but but rather fictionalizing what it, how America would react in a certain situation. Um, and I think that Independence Day is probably one of the f- first major kind of blockbuster films that did that. Um, definitely not the first, but one of them, and one that did it very successfully. But I think looking back from from here in in the 21st century we've explored that a lot how america would react in a hyper realist or uh hyper fictionalized rather um situation especially with bringing marvel characters like captain america to screen we get to explore that a lot more in film now 
and like like we said on the the New York episode with with Spider-Man having these kind of fictional representations of cities and people and Americana and experiences really has so so much interesting commentary on what we see America as um, and I think Independence Day is definitely a major player in in shifting narratives towards thinking about what what would America do in a certain situation or what would we hope America would do in this situation and here in Independence Day it's definitely be the number one hero first and foremost in every single way possible and on Independence Day like it's it's hyper American um but I think it's a fascinating kind of look at the fictionalization of the idealistic American identity and um, kind of problem solving of America. Absolutely. Um, Right. We have, I think, two more films to go. Um, I will go next because I want to end on Nicolas Cage because that's (laughs) how we should always end our podcast. Don't spoil it, Simon. (laughs) Yes. Go. Face Off is the most patriotic film. No. Uh, we should, we should, I can't wait when we do a future episode on um, Nick Cage and just do, <laughs> just do hours on Nicolas Cage's cinema impact. That would be something. Anyway, my film it does not star Nicolas Cage, although it would benefit if Nicolas Cage were indeed the president. But um, this is, this film is called The American President, which came out in 1995, directed by Rob Reiner and written by Aaron Sorkin. It is very much a predecessor to The West Wing. Um, it involves actors who would appear in The West Wing and just the, the sense of the walk and talk through the through the White House is very West Wingy. Um, the, the president here is uh, Michael Douglas. His chief of staff is Martin Sheen. His love interest is Annette Benning, who is a um, um, she. She's kind of, kind of come. She's come in as a, a lobbyist for um, environmental group, and um, she is um, you know, she's wanting the uh, the president. The group are wanting the president to be you know stronger on carbon emissions. Um, I think cutting cutting it by twenty percent and. I think the White House is barely going to do 10%. Um, That that then sort of starts off a a romantic relationship between the two of them. And, you know, we get the sort of rom-com-y side of that play out. Uh, On the side of that, we also have lots of talk about civil liberties and ACLU and um, the past of of the um, Annette Benning character and how she was, you know, seen as, you know, protesting for, for civil liberties in, in her younger days. And you have this, this great uh, uh, evil character called Bob Bronson, who is the Republican senator, who is the de facto person running for, for president on the Republican side. And he is just wonderfully evil as um, this Republican senator who wants to obviously win the election and will do anything it takes to, to win to win the election. Um, so uh, the reason I, I pick this um, is I, I pick this film because I think it, it, the Amer- the American leader is such a it's such a striking point for America and what it means. I think a lot, maybe more so than other countries as well, because it is a president. So they have so much more power. And we, we see through the film, um, 
President Shepard is basically kind of lost at sea to some degree. He's, he's kind of lost the spark that he had that got him elected. He still has good approval ratings. I think it says like at the start of the film, he's got you know sixty three percent approval ratings, but he doesn't want to to kind of tarnish that by going after unrealistic goals. Um, so instead, he'd like to sort of do the bare minimum liberal stuff, which is just really funny watching with Biden in the White House now. Um, and um, throughout the film, we we see that kind of get um, the people around him, such as Michael J. Uh, Fox's character, kind of going, you know. I, I voted for you and I don't just work for you I voted for you you know when are you going to kind of come out and be the president that uh, I want you to be and you know why aren't you standing up to Bob Bronson why aren't you you know why aren't you showing uh, real leadership why aren't you talking about the things that you should be talking about and by the end of the film we, we get this great speech it's a very Aaron Sorkin speech where he stands up in front of the press and he talks about um, how you know um, the, the the character played by um, Annette Benning is you know a member of the ACLU and you know so, so am I I'm a card carrying member and he says Bob Ronson why aren't you a member you know because th- this is a group that is um, you know upholding civil liber- civil civil liberties and he kind of goes on in his speech to talk about how it's not just um, you know being in America being American is advanced citizenship it's not just about waving flags it's about having the right to burn a flag and then defend the person who does that and you know throughout the, the last 30 or 40 years we continuously see this further and further right-wing America which you know we lots of talk about you know can't discredit the flag can't bring down historical monuments you know the iconography of, of, of America has become more important to them than the living lives of, of everyday Americans. And I think the film actually does specifically mention, you know, how, how can you say you're, you're proud to be American, but actually hate Americans. And so all, all that kind of comes together, um, pulls together this idea of, of, in a very kind of Hollywood liberal kind of way, but in a sense of we need to challenge ourselves and we, we need to, being patriotic is not just, uh, you know, wave a flag on the 4th of July, it means that we have to stand up for what we believe in and stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves and all, all this kind of stuff. So um, I thought it was a a good choice to talk about because it does allow us to talk about the the American president as, as it's seen in the 90s, which is kind of like a, a sweeter version of Bill Clinton without the scandals. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a reflection on how that is today, which is kind of liberals still fighting over the bare minimum which is um, quite funny considering what we were talking about at the start of the episode um Vaughn you'd not seen this film before though I think it would kind of been on your watch list since um since you'd seen uh, the West Wing is that correct um yes so yeah I became an expert in the West Wing earlier this year um <laughs> by binging all of it in like a week and I really, for a lot of the reasons that you just said, Simon, um, and my idea of patriotism on film that I said earlier, I think this is probably the most patriotic of the films that we are discussing today, because it is about this very critical type of patriotism, and it's specifically targeted at the president, which I think is a fascinating kind of portrayal Um of what the presidency means and the the duty of the presidency. And as you said, like that final speech is, is riveting. It is a great speech. 
Um, and I would argue, I am arguing that this film is significantly more progressive than anything in the West Wing that we covered earlier. Mm. Um, by defending a flag burner in this film and saying that that is American. That is like Meryl Curtis's idea of being an enlightened citizen and actively critiquing your government is the freedom to burn the flag. And I wonder, I wonder what swayed Aaron Sorkin between 95 and what, 98 or so when the West Wing started. And I believe it was probably Clinton. But I think it's interesting that this film came out in 95, just before re-election and just after the Violent Crimes Act was passed, because a lot of the central plot is critiquing the crime bill that the president is pushing. Yep. And that's that's very interesting that the, the Violent Crimes Act was passed in 94, and this film would have been in production in 94. And it's a, a straightforward, loud critique of the Clinton presidency and really advising him on what what people, and specifically Aaron Sorkin, would have wanted him to have said going into his reelection. So I thought it was a really interesting film, definitely an extremely patriotic one. And especially paired with the West Wing, and as you said, the, the Biden administration at the moment, seeing how liberalism kind of developed from this point Clinton is definitely a famed new Democrat, the, a, mm-hmm. a centrist, a bland Republican. <laughs> and that develops and solidifies even further throughout his presidency. So, so seeing this film from the middle of his presidency is really, really such a critique on the 90s and interesting viewing for 2021. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. I think... Um... I was expecting a sort of uh, West Wing origin. It's really cool to see um, Bartlett here as uh, AJ. <laughs> yeah, it's um, stuff, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and the, the president isn't Jeb Bartlett, really. He's not this sort of um, your godlike figure, you know, who, who doesn't have his faults. The president is a human being. The president is, um, if he sort of falls in love with this uh, woman, and he is kind of awkward with it, really, a little bit. But um, and then you know she she's you know he's obviously the president, but it is yeah it, it it puts these two people in 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 difficult moral and ethical situations with their jobs and their work. And then um, towards the end, uh, the president advocates for the ACLU and, and, and does a real, you know, full-throated advocacy for people who, who burn the flag. So it isn't the sort of um, um, glorification of the professional managerial class and and smart people like um, like the, the West Wing is really. It's a, it's a film that that gets the president, you know, who, who, who does seem 
like Jeb Bartlett in the beginning. You've got the flowing music. You've got his um, good relationship with his daughter, educating his daughter on um, social studies and things like that. You 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 have the the basis and the preamble for something like that. But actually, the movie explores the president's flaws, explores the per- president in the vulnerable situation. Um, actually goes out of its way to depict the Republican as bad and and then has a, you know, strong ending as, you know, he's pushed more left and towards more progressive positions by, um, you know, his would-be girlfriends. And then he does a, you know, full-throated uh, defense of um, freedom and and liberty. Yeah, it is. It's it's a it's a more sophisticated and and more um, mature movie than the the West Wing is a is a TV show. Absolutely. So that kind of takes us to the the final film then, which I did spoil already. Does star Nicolas Cage. Um, so is it Con Air, Vaughn, or Face Off, or which which Nicolas Cage film are we talking about here? The Sorcerer's Apprentice. The no. Sor- <laughs> um, <laughs> no, this this film is, um, as people may guess, National Treasure. And I I toyed with other ones. Um, I think it's pretty telling that my immediate thoughts for patriotic films were films like such as The Patriot and um, Full Metal Jacket, <laughs> uh, Saving Private Ryan, Across the Universe, all of them kind of centering on wars. Um, but I went with National Treasure because I happened to watch it this week. And I... I think it is a representation of what people want patriotism to be, that you can feel good about your very surface level history knowledge from kind of second grade history. There's a line in the film where Nicolas Cage says that the password to getting into the vault where the the Declaration of Independence is when he's stealing the declaration. he says that the password is Valley Forge. She pressed the E and L twice. Valley Forge was a turning point in the American Revolution. And Riley, his, his computer man, says, can I marry your brain? And it's just like, that's really surface level knowledge of, of American history. And also Valley Forge wasn't particularly a turning point in the war, is my opinion. Other people may disagree, but whatever. I, I think it's a film that really placates what people want to think is an American patriot in the modern day. Someone who has this kind of passionate idea of history and knows very key, but not very deep facts about American history that anyone could be the Nicolas Cage character in this film, hunting treasure that brings the U.S. onto this brand new world stage again um, for the first time really since World War II. And they're, they're gifting the world all of this history from Egypt through Mesopotamia and just all, all of world history really up until the American Revolution when the treasure supposedly 
was hidden um, through various clues in archetypal American uh, kind of icons. So I don't, I don't know. I just, I think it's a fun film. I don't know if it's a good film, but I enjoy it a lot. It is. <laughs> and I think it, sorry. So I was going to say, it, it, if it's very America loving its own history and, you know, feeling kind of yeah. wanting to play with it kind of thing. It's a very playful film. Yes, exactly. And the first time I saw it, I was probably, I don't remember when it came out, but I think I was probably an early teen. And it just seemed like this very magical kind of treasure hunt and like it's a like all of american history is a puzzle to figure out and it really kind of aided that that love for history that i have that it is kind of a treasure hunt to examine history and re-examine history and interpret different things and i don't know if interpretation and re-examination really come out in the film as what history is again that's a different conversation about how we teach history but it definitely is a kind of feel-good American exceptionalism. We're so smart, we hit all of these <laughs> clues in plain sight kind of thing. Like one of the clues is on a hundred dollar on the hundred dollar bill. Yep. It's just it's a fun film, and it makes American history this grandiose scavenger hunt that if you were actually really paying attention and looking hard enough, you'd you'd have all of the riches in the world. And that's such an American thing to me. I just, I really enjoy that film. I, I do actually enjoy both that and the sequel. They are good throwaway nonsense. And I, I watched them I yeah. think end of last year and they are, they are good fun. Counterpoint though, uh, National Treasure films are responsible for queuing on. Um, Ooh. That, that I'm just making, that, just making that up now, but you can very much. I don't think you are though. That you can no, just imagine no. an idea of like, the if we look hard enough and we pay not close enough attention to the world around us we can see these clues and holding this you know hundred dollar bill upside down will, will tell us where you know bill clinton's secret girlfriends are or whatever so <laughs> i don't think you have to look that hard <laughs> <laughs> i think you just have to hand over the hundred dollar bill and you'd find out <laughs> you'd become one, <laughs> you'd become um, one. <laughs> yeah it's just it's a fun film i think it is. And I think it also gets into that like far less serious and still very fictionalized version of America that the the founders had such grand plans and that they were actually even smarter than we already think they were. And it just it taps into this sense of Americana that we need a mythology and we mm -hmm. our identity as Americans is so intrinsically linked to the fabulistic that that we don't have founding myths like every other country does because we were we were new and mm -hmm. the the american identity was new in the latter 18th century and i think this room this film really taps into that american exceptionalism and mythology that that our founders were more than human that that they were capable of mythologies like Europa and the Bull for all of Europe or like Romulus and Remus for Rome. Mm -hmm. That we, we have this kind of innately divine idea of our, our founders. And this film really portrays the playfulness and also seriousness of 
the American need for for mythology. And I think, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is the hardest anyone has ever thought about national treasure. Yes, probably more so than the people who wrote it. I would have thought. Um, <laughs> no, it it is fun, and it to your point, um, this idea of re-examining uh, the. the the people who founded the country you, you see that time and time again as years and decades pass so you got something like hamilton for instance which came about you know a decade or so so later um um you've got other shows and films and tv that will kind of keep going back to you know what what did the founding fathers actually mean you know what what did they actually do what secret passages did they have that you know did x y or z uh, what what hidden clues are there out there? And I, I don't think it I don't think it's going to go away. I think it's just we're going to keep it. Or American media is going to keep re-examining and keep re re um, re-upping its idea of what <laughs> of what these mythologies are. And um, to conclude, I think they should make a third national treasure because I would watch it. I'd watch the shit out of that movie. Agreed. Right, uh, Toby. <laughs> Anything to add either on American exceptionalism or just Nicolas Cage? Um, I think Nick Cage is 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 really the the apotheosis of American exceptionalism. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, to be born to be born a Coppola, yes. and then to be pretend to not be a Coppola and still mm-hmm. be Nicolas Cage. I mean, I know. T- talk about talk about King walking amongst us in ordinary clothes. I mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What a what a not really ordinary clothes. Have you ever seen how Nick Cage dresses? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> pretty iconic. And yeah, I was being metaphorically with the name. He dresses like a magician or something. <laughs> it's a, it's incredible. I love his wardrobe. I also like the fact that he makes about nine films a year because he has like tax reasons to pay off for like all his Scottish castles and stuff. So he's just like continuously working. What? I didn't know that. Yeah, he's he owns like lots of land and he he's owed, he's owed lots of tax things over the years. So he's he's basically just done a lot of films over the years to pay for various things. That's um, also so American to be so far in debt to other countries <laughs> that you have to keep working. <laughs> Good on him. So patriotic. So patriotic. Uh right. Um I mean to be honest, I could quite happily talk for nicholas but nicholas cage for a couple of hours but we should probably leave it there yeah, we'll save it we'll save we'll, it we'll, we'll save it for our our uh, spin-off nicholas cage podcast um mm-hmm. right is there anything we'd like to add on the fourth of july or uh films or joe biden or anything else before we finish up um other than to wish everybody a happy fourth of july Definitely have a happy 4th of July. Throw some tea in a harbor where the closest harbor you have, go for it. And definitely have s'mores for me because I, I, I didn't pick up graham crackers. So there you go. I'd also like no. to take this opportunity to uh, congratulate Vaughn. I don't think you've sworn mm-hmm. so far in this episode. Are you kidding me? I've sworn many times. Okay, I haven't. Okay, I just wasn't paying attention. I just said I watched the shit out of the third national yeah, treasure movie. You didn't, I didn't remember you saying F or c so i definitely did oh yeah we're gonna need an explicit rating on this one i think it was about republicans you know i can't talk about oh okay fair enough i i i thought well you certainly swore a lot less than you normally do anyway so yeah probably that's fair i'll take that one i'll take that some sort of you know 
yeah, it's fine. It, it, we, we can't help but talk about Republicans in glowing terms. After all, exactly. me, and Toby, me and Toby are Republicans. So, um, mm-hmm. so I need to balance it out. You do with your uh, very center left liberal approach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, right. We should probably go uh, before um, Vaughn really starts swearing because she's what <laughs> three or four drinks in at this point, and it could start. I have been more. taking shots throughout this episode. <laughs> so it is a miracle you haven't sworn haven't anymore noticed. to be honest um I think yeah, we, we shouldn't shouldn't risk it any further right um <laughs> from vaughn from toby from nicholas cage and myself simon uh thank you very much for listening and uh we'll have another episode for you in the near future goodbye bye bye happy fourth Uh, Toby, can I just get a mic check? Your favorite moment of the 1960s? Favorite moment? I, I think it's probably the death of RFK. I think he was really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Cleaning house there, Toby. Just like yeah. let let's move on. People. The 60s clean house in the best way. I think. <laughs> <laughs>